Well, we're uh, continuing our series in Habakkuk, The Waiting Room, today. Last week, uh, we saw that uh, there's times in life where we're just like, God, what? What is going on? Um, And Habakkuk was living one of those times that the people of Jerusalem, the elites and the leaders, were were oppressing and, and doing injustice to the little people, the regular folks. And Habakkuk yells out to God. He's like, well, God, what are you going to do about it? And crazy thing, God tells him. He's like, oh, I have a plan. Um, I'm going to bring the Babylonians in to sack Jerusalem to to bring violence to you. And Habakkuk's like, I don't like that plan. That's a bad plan. Habakkuk even says, he's like, God, that plan, is it's unworthy of you. You're better than that. Um, And that's why a lot of people think, uh, in the Christian tradition, a lot of people have been uh, upset by this book. They think it's like a little bit impertinent for the prophet to to, to talk that way to God. But the the point is, is that, yeah, you can talk that way to God. You can be honest with God. And we talked about it in our own lives. I mean, we all, at some point or another, end up in the waiting room, literally and figuratively. Uh, Many of you have been in the waiting room. You're sitting there waiting to find out what's going to happen to someone that you love. And then there's other times where uh, the circumstances of life are just messed up and the things that we think should be happening aren't. And we cry out, we're like, God, help! And it doesn't seem like God's doing anything to help. And so we have a question, how do we survive? How do we live through the waiting room? And so today we're going to get some pretty practical tips about what to do. God's going to tell Habakkuk a few things. Habakkuk is going to tell God a few things. And in the end, we're going to have some, some, some really solid, practical ways of making it through when things don't look right. And so here's Habakkuk. He, uh, he tells God this. He says, I will take my post. I will position myself on the fortress. I'll keep watch to see what the Lord says to me and how he will respond to my complaint. So he's not literally going to do this. It's an, it's an image, right? He's not literally going to go up on a post and like, be like, God, talk to me. Or God, what do you have to say after all the things I've said to you? Uh, instead, he's, he's taking the image of what it was like in the ancient world. The ancient world, if you wanted to have safety, you had to have you know, high posts. That's where you could look out and you could see if any enemies were coming, if uh, your reinforcements were arriving. That's what you had to do. You had to go up to a, to a high place. Uh, one of my favorite places in the world, and I haven't been there in a long time, but it's, it's, it's amazing. It's the, uh, the New York Bar and Grill in Tokyo. It's, uh, they, don't call it, they call it New York Bar and Grill. And uh, it's, it's, the, it's on the 52nd uh, floor of the Tokyo Hyatt Hotel. And if you, uh, if you saw that movie way back in the day, Lost in Translation with Bill Murray, uh, there's a scene that takes place in this, uh, in this, um, this bar and grill. And uh, I, I love it because of the view. Um, I have a shot here of what it looks like when you're in the New Yorku Baru and Guidu at the at the, the Tokyo Hyatt. Uh, you may not know this, but um, the population of California is approximately 39 million people. All right, that's uh, how many people are in the state, largest state in in the union. What you might not know also is that the population of Tokyo Metro is 37 million people. Um, it is, it's, it's the most populated, densely populated place on earth. Um, and in order to make it possible to live there, and this is what happens when you go up 
uh, to the New York Bar and Grill and you look out the windows, you realize that you cannot see the end of buildings. No matter which uh, side, and it's on four sides, you, and there's windows, glass everywhere, wherever you go, you cannot see the end of city. This is totally unlike uh, anything that we in America can even experience. Like, you know, you go to L.A., you go to um, New York, you go to Chicago, you get up in those high-rises and you look out, you see the end. You see where nature comes back, the suburbs. Nope. Not in Tokyo. And I love it because when you're there and you're looking out and you're, and you're seeing just the enormity of humanity, it becomes really easy to put things in perspective. When you're looking out at 37 million people, you realize I'm just one. And whatever, uh, you know, problems, whatever, uh, whatever you are in life, it, it, there's a little bit of, of a sense of like, well, I mean, this is obviously really important and serious to me, but, but guess what? There's 37 million people I'm looking at right now who are feeling exactly the same way. And God's got to deal with that. Remember, uh, you know, we're, it's, it's a little bit unfortunate that we are such an individualistic culture because we as people, we, we're always thinking about how, how can I get happy? How can I have, you know, the best life, whatever? Um, and, and at a certain point, you kind of want to stop and, 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 and step back and say, wait a minute. God's juggling, you know, my needs, my concerns. He's also juggling the concerns and needs of everyone. And there's a sense in which getting up in that higher place and looking out shows us that our waiting room is real, but it's not the only one. That's the first thing in your note sheets. Um, surviving the waiting room requires a higher perspective. I don't doubt, I know um, that some of the things that you guys are going through are awful. I really do. I know it. But there's a way that we can get above and we can look out and we can see that God's got a lot going on. And not only that, but for us, for Christians, the higher perspective goes uh, beyond this life, right? You know, Habakkuk is sitting there and, and, and Habakkuk's like, God, why are you going to destroy Jerusalem? That seems like a really bad plan to help your people. And God's like, Habakkuk, you don't have any idea what's happening. You, you, I'm, I'm juggling nations here, man. I have got so much on my plate. You, you don't have a security clearance high enough to even begin to understand what I'm up to. I'm giving you a sliver, a little piece. And in Habakkuk, you, if you're going to survive the waiting room, you're going to have to realize it's okay to be a part of something bigger than yourself. A much larger plot line is taking place. It's not just you and yours. It's everything that God has to do with salvation history from the beginning to the end. And so for Habakkuk, he's not going to probably live to see the end. And certainly not the exilic generation. There, there's plenty of places in Scripture where people are asked to live in a way where they never see 
the good times. They have to trust and have faith that they're a part of something that's bigger and will. And so that, for, for those of us in the waiting room, that, that brings up a couple, a couple of questions. The first, the first is, where do you go? Do you have a spot where you can reset, where you can start to see the bigger picture? Uh, and I, I do think this takes some, some actual movement. I think we have to get out of our routines, get out of the, the grind in order to begin to, 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 to reset. Um, I'm really bad at this. I, uh, I, part of it is I'm not a huge fan of nature, so I don't like going where there's not air conditioning. But wherever you are and whoever you are, you're going to have to to say, when I'm in the middle of it, when I'm in the waiting room, and I'm not sure what's going to happen, and I don't like God's plan, I need to get to a place where I can see the bigger picture, where I can stop, where I can breathe, and see what's actually happening. You need to have that. The second question, do you have a resurrected perspective? And this is super important. This is super critical. Because Habakkuk didn't, he was before, uh, he didn't know that there was going to be a resurrection. He was able to find meaning and purpose in being a part of God's people and plan. And we can do that too. But we also have to remember, this isn't the end. As Doug was saying, and as we were singing, like, resurrection is real. It's happening. It's coming. Uh, this, this life is, is not the end. And as a result, we have to be able to have that bigger picture of saying, hey, even though it's bad right now, and even though I might not see the end of it, everything that dies someday comes back. It's Bruce Springsteen. (laughs) Atlantic City, nobody? Everything that dies, baby, that's a fact. Maybe everything that dies someday comes back. Nothing. Okay, terrible. All right, let's go back to the text. Go back to the text. Fine, fine. We'll listen to the Bible instead. It's great. Uh, how is the Lord going to respond to the complaint? The Lord answered Habakkuk and said, write a vision, make it plain upon a tablet so that a runner can read it. That means uh, Habakkuk's going to make a lot of copies of, of, of the vision that God's giving him. And then uh, people, like uh, pages, will take them to the cities and the communities of, of Israel to tell what God's up to. Uh, and God says this, there is still a vision for the appointed time. It testifies to the end. It does not deceive. If it delays, wait for it. A, a, a little translation there would be like, if it dawdles. That's kind of the, like the, uh, the Hebrew feels more like that. If it dawdles, wait for it. It is surely coming. It will not be late. Which is a very, I mean, if you look at this, it sounds like God's like talking, God's like contradicting himself, right? He's like, hey, it's coming. It's going to be here fast. But if it's not, if it delays, if it dawdles a little bit, wait for it. If you're, if you're, you're having a hard time back, know that it's coming. Uh, but if it, feels like, if it feels like it's not coming fast enough, uh, focus on, on, on the end of the vision. Focus, focus on what comes at the end. Uh, there's a reason that God says this. Um, God actually knows what it's like to be human. Uh, and God knows that time for us is a very strange thing. Uh, Psalm 90 actually has an interesting bit where the psalmist is complaining to God. Like, God, you don't know what it's like to be human. You were here before the mountains were born. Okay, you're endless. You go on and on and on and on. You don't know what it's like to be here one day, gone the next. You don't understand what that, we, we have these people that we love and they just disappear after a heart attack. Like, like, you don't get that. Well, God does actually get that and God will really get that when God um, incarnates in the person of Jesus the Messiah. But God does understand that time's weird for us. I remember about 10 years ago, 
I think, maybe even longer, it's hard to remember, but we used to do this thing where on, uh, during the summer, on Sunday nights, we would go to uh, Capo Beach, hole in the fence, and have like a barbecue and hang out. It was super cool. It was called Beach Nights. Uh, the problem is, is that uh, Capo Beach, hole in the wall, was, was being destroyed by the waves over time. And I don't know if you've been there recently, but it's like you, there's no way you could do anything there. I think they even got rid of the basketball court. Because basically the oceans was just doing the shore break that was just massive. And it kept eroding the beach. And they put rocks in it. But eventually they just, it fell apart. Near the end of our time there, I remember one Sunday uh, evening. It's getting dark. And uh, it's crazy. There's uh, this little girl, Marley. And she's, like, playing in the ocean, playing in the waves. She's, like, maybe four, three, something like that. But she loves it, you know, the, the waves. But the waves start getting big. But she, and so she's kind of backed up a little bit. But then they get small again, and so she runs into the water. And I can, I, I will never forget this. This monster wave comes. It's, like, in slow motion. This monster wave comes. And, and it's, like, I can see her, like, disappearing into the water. This girl can't swim. She has no floaties on. And the, and, the, and the water is swallowing her. At the same time, literally about halfway through, uh, through the moment where she's being swallowed, uh, Janelle Carson, is, he, is she here? Janelle, you should hear this because you you're a hero. Janelle Carson was carrying one of her children. She dropped her child. And I can see, I can see the child like slowly floating <laughs> down to the beach. And before the child even hit the ground, She's got like eight, so I don't know which one it was. It's hard to remember. Uh, but uh, she began to run full tilt into the water. As she's running, the wave re- uh, sucks back into the ocean. Marley's gone. She's running. She, it, now it's the, the whitewash after. She dives in. Beat. 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 She emerges soaking wet, holding Marley like, like, a, like a firefighter or something, like running out of the, the water. It was the most heroic thing I've ever seen in my life. What's crazy is I remember it taking about a year to happen. It took forever. But in real life, it actually took about probably five to ten seconds. That's how long it was. But there's this interesting fact about human beings where uh, primarily the amygdala in our brains, when it's flooded with oxygen, and this usually happens in emergency situations, time seems to slow down. Uh, They've even done tests on this where they've proven (laughs) that people uh, experience a slowing of time when their amygdala is flooded with oxygen during an emergency situation. The opposite also is true. When nothing's happening, when you're in the waiting room, it seems like it's taking forever. Instead of this, this hyper movement where just a small thing gets expanded out, instead it's this big long thing that feels even longer and longer and longer. And God understands that. God knows that when you're in the waiting room, when you're there, it's really hard and it feels like it's never going to end. That's why he says to Habakkuk, focus on the end. It's the next thing in your note sheets. Stay focused on the end. When we are helpless, the wait feels like forever. 
Because that's really the problem, right? The waiting room. The, the problem with the waiting room is that you can't do anything. You know, if, if Corson cries all night, here there's nothing you can do. And that feeling of helplessness, of being unable, that's when it starts to stretch. I remember when my dad fell and he was, uh, he was in a coma, 15 minutes at his bedside felt like an hour. If we're going to survive the waiting room, we have to have that higher perspective. And the higher perspective, we have to look at the end. We have to look at what's going to happen ultimately. Now, it's true. We don't know what our personal circumstances are going to be. We don't know, you know, who's going to live, who's going to die. We don't know uh, whether or not that deal is going to come through and save the family finances. We don't know. We don't know if our kids are going to grow up to be the people we want them to be or if they're going to rebel. We don't know. But we do know this. The end is set. And when we look at that, the waiting room is tolerable. And that brings up a couple of questions. What helps you set your eyes on he- heaven? And this is a really practical thing. What helps you pass the time? I'm telling you guys, I mean, when, when we, the various times I've been in the waiting room in my life, uh, it is an absolute um, gift, a blessing from God when you have things that help you get out, that distract you and, 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 move, and move time forward because you're sitting there and, and the grief and the fear and, the, and, the, and the, the boredom in some cases is so overwhelming. Just being able to get away from that and have time move again, have time flow is critical. And then heaven. My dad never woke up from that coma. And the day he died, we, uh, we were at the long-term care place. And thankfully, my mom and I were visiting. And uh, Aaron was able to get a ride over from one of our work colleagues. But when he died, um, I, it was so weird. We, my mom and I were just sitting there waiting uh, for Aaron to arrive, and we just, we just began singing a hymn. Tears streaming down on our faces, but belting it out. Because, man, <laughs> it sucked to know that he was gone. But by the name and the power of the Lord Jesus Christ, it was good to know he's coming back. Well, God's not done. Uh, God says, hey, uh, I want you to understand something about the waiting room and, 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 and how things are going to sort out. Um, it's a pretty long section of chapter 2, so I've compressed it a little bit so that we can get um, the, the basic idea of it. Uh, but it, 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 it's about um, Babylon, what's going to happen to Babylon. And, and so God says, uh, look, the one who faints before this vision, the Babylonians who are scared by this vision, uh, his soul's not upright. But the righteous person will live by God's faithfulness. God's faithful. If you can trust that, keep living by that. Know that God won't quit. God's not going to lose. 
the end is sure. Moreover, wine betrays an arrogant man. He doesn't rest. Wine here is a, it's a, it's a metaphor for wrath, for destruction. Uh, destruction betrays an arrogant man. He doesn't rest. He opens his jaws like the grave, like death. He is never satisfied. He gathers all nations to himself and collects peoples for himself. Last week we saw that he's consuming them. Uh, the, Babylon is seen as like just, just taking human lives and just eating them. But what's going to happen? Won't everyone tell parables about him or mocking poems concerning him? Aren't people going to be mad and start, and start laying into him? Uh, one of the best things you can do uh, to people who are like up high and they think they're great is to mock them. Uh, so, to people, so if you have corrupt leadership, you have corrupt people, make fun of them. They hate it. They can't stand it uh, because pride is, is huge for people who are in places of power. And so when you mock them, it tears them down. And it gives strength and comfort to the other people who are like you who are sitting there in the waiting room waiting for things to, to sort out. Uh, God goes on, not only are we going to walk, uh, mock, I'm sorry, uh, these people will say, doom to the one who multiplies what doesn't belong to him, who increases his own burden. There's bad things coming. How long, these people will say, won't they suddenly rise up to bite you, Babylon? Those who frighten you will awaken. You will become plunder for them. Since you yourself have plundered many nations, all the rest of the people will plunder you because of the human bloodshed and the violence done to the earth, to every village, to all its inhabitants. It's a funny principle, right? Uh, the idea that, that evil, Babylon's been so evil, and they're going to be evil to Jerusalem, evil to Israel. But in the end, in the end, that evil will be repaid. Why is that? Because evil, tyranny, oppression has a funny way of destroying itself. In fact, I think John had to, our drummer, John, I think he had to go, his car broke down on the way here, um, so he's not here, but he, uh, he's a member of a band called the Union of Sinners and Saints. They just released an album, and the lead singer of that band is uh, John from uh, one of my favorite Christian rock bands growing up, Petra. You guys remember Petra? Okay. So... One of my all-time favorite songs, the first song I love from Petra, 1987 release, This Means War. And the, 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 the song is about the devil, the enemy. And it's about how the enemy, uh, it, it climaxes really when the enemy thinks that the enemy has won. What, what did the enemy do to win? He finally got Jesus right where he wanted him and he killed him. The enemy, was, the enemy has been working to sabotage God his entire existence, practically. And finally, when God makes the, the foolish move of, of bringing uh, Jesus to, to us, bringing God in incarnate form to us, uh, the, the devil's like, yes, now I have my opportunity. And, 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 and he, so he, he gets the, the, the powers of, of Israel, the powers of Rome together, and they collaborate and they murder the Son of God. And in this song, this means war. It's, it's all about the exultation. But then something happens. Resurrection. An unwelcome guest arrives in the domain of the enemy. Think about it. Think about this. If the, if the enemy had not murdered Jesus... No forgiveness of sins? No conquering of death? 
no eternal life. It was, it was the enemy, Satan, who destroyed himself. He had humanity, like, locked in. He had us enslaved, destroyed, oppressed. And then he goes to the next level. He's like, I'm going to keep killing. I'm going to keep, and now I'm going to get you, God. Evil has a way of destroying itself. I can't help myself. I, was gonna, I wasn't going to do this because I know that you guys get sick of it, but it has to be said. The reason that you should not watch The Rings of Power on Amazon <laughs> is that it completely fails to understand the universe that Tolkien created. I don't know if Peter Jackson is a Christian or not. I don't know if he gets or doesn't get. But because he tried to stay close to the books, he couldn't avoid actually doing what Tolkien does. I've watched these Rings of Power, and they don't get it. At the, at the core of, 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 of Tolkien's work is the idea that evil always destroys itself, and that good always overcomes, because evil can't help itself. And so, for example, in The Hobbit, uh, remember the bit where the trolls are, like, fighting over Bilbo to decide, to decide who's going to eat him and how? And because they're arguing with each other about how to kill, they wait too long, the sun comes up, they turn to stone. Evil destroys itself. Uh, or the the very end, what are we talking about? Uh, when 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 Frodo and and Sam are getting up the mountain, uh, the the orcs I think catch Frodo, and and they're fighting over his his metal shirt, and their greed for his shirt leads them to 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 wait too long to kill themselves, slaughter all of each other, so that they're able to get to the top. Evil destroys itself, and then the ring. In order to get rid of it, Frodo can't do it, can't do it. And then evil, in the form of Gollum, Gollum, who's completely obsessed over the ring, he goes after the ring, he ends up dying, evil destroys itself. Ah! I know that you don't care. But this is really important. It's really important not just because that, that TV show sucks. It's also important because... Tolkien understood something fundamental about the nature of evil. Evil destroys, evil destroys, and then it ends up destroying itself. That's the last thing in your note sheets. Hang in. Evil has a way of destroying itself. And for some of you who are in the waiting room, you're in the waiting room because of, of evil. Someone has wronged you. Someone is oppressing you. Someone is destroying you. Someone's going after you. And, and, and it's hard because you're sitting there and you're like, Jesus tells me to love. How is, how is this going to work out? Well, I don't know. But I do know this. Those who live by the sword die by the sword. For some of us here, the evil is not a person or an institution. For some of us, the thing that's uh, destroying us, it's keeping us in the waiting room is sometimes it's our own heart. Maybe it's um, metastasized cancer. And for us who are in that boat, it might not be a lot of comfort to know that evil is destroying itself. In fact, that might be really scary. And that's why, come what may,
It's resurrection we hold on to. Because everything that dies someday comes back. And no matter what happens in the next week or month or year or 10 years or 20 years, the end is set. Injustice will be overthrown. It will destroy itself. Cancer will be cured and healed. Our bodies will be made right. Our hearts that are so stubborn and hard are going to be broken in love. It's happening. Nobody can stop it. Because the God of the universe is affecting it. So hang in. You're going to win. Let's pray. Gracious God and Father, um, a lot of us right now are in the waiting room. A lot of us um, maybe have been in the waiting room. A lot of us are about to enter the waiting room. And it's really hard. It's hard because our perspective is narrow. It's hard because we get locked into helplessness. But God, encourage our hearts to know that whatever happens, everything that dies someday comes back. Whatever's dead in our life someday come back. That you're a resurrector. That you don't quit on us. And it's your faithfulness, your faithfulness we depend on. That's how we live. Grant us that higher perspective to see how big what you're doing is. Grant us that resurrection perspective to know that it's not over. And affirm in our hearts that all the evil will end up eating itself. That you will rise victorious again. Jesus, we follow you, the one who showed us how to suffer, how to be in the waiting room. And Holy Spirit, we beckon you uh, to bring new life, that we can rise out of the graves that we're in. In your name, Jesus, we pray, amen.